I want to ask you to join me in turning to God's Word, Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, and we're going to look at one of the most famous chapters in Scripture. But as we turn there, I'll invite you to stand. We're going to begin with verse 1 and 2, Luke 15. And then we'll read down beginning with verse 25 through 32. And I'll talk about what's in the middle there as well. Would you hear the word of the Lord? In fact, let's pray this prayer together. Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen. Amen. Beginning here in Luke 15, chapter 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus tells a series of stories. Stories that uh, we'll talk about in just a few minutes with the story of the, the prodigal son. You're probably familiar with that. And then he says this word in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But with this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is now alive again. And he was lost and is now found. May God have his blessing to that word. Be seated, please. Luke 15 might be one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It is poignant and rich and gives us such an understanding of the father heart of God. In storytelling, however, there is what is called a rule of three. Now, if you're a storyteller or you want to communicate a point, one of the ways that you can do that is basically using this rule of three. And basically what that means is you set something up as happening. It, it happens, and then you tell something else, and the similar thing happens. But the third time, you, you have, by the third time, you have an expectation. You think you know what's going to happen because there's a pattern that has been established. So when you come to that third time, you, you think you know what to expect, but with the rule of three, there's a twist. Something happens that you didn't expect. For instance, a horse visited a baseball stadium, and he trotted over to the ma manager and asked to try out. The manager, stunned by a talking horse, figured, well, why not? Let's give it a try. Well, the, to the horse took batting practice, and wouldn't you know it, he slammed several pitches out of the park, home run. He's a hitter. Next came fielding practice. 
Well, there he was at shortstop, and man, the horse is just like a vacuum cleaner, just sucking up everything that came to him. He fielded it so well with amazing skill, the manager is amazed. The manager said, okay, okay, I've seen you hit the ball. I, I, I've seen you field the ball, but let me ask you, uh, let's see you pitch the ball. The horse said, are you kidding me? Who ever heard of a horse that can pitch the ball? That's funny, okay? You, you really didn't expect that. The rule of three, you didn't. Ohio State won last night. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. Ohio, I got you there. It's not as funny when you have to explain it. I really like that joke, and it just didn't go over. I don't know. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells us three stories. Now, the first story is the story of the good shepherd uh, he, he loses one of his 100 sheep and he goes and he leaves the 99 to pursue the one lost sheep when he finds it Jesus says there's a party there's a celebration the second story Jesus tells is about a woman who loses one coin out of 10 these coins are precious to her they're valuable to her so she goes to her house she cleans every nick and cranny she looks in every corner and she finds that one coin she calls her neighbors and she has a party to celebrate the coin was found then Jesus tells us what is probably one of the most beloved parables of all the story of the prodigal son now, if you've been listening, you know how this story is going to end. The rule of three, you, you understand the pattern. When the son is found, there's a celebration. But with the rule of three, there's a twist. May I tell you that story again? A certain man, Jesus said, had two sons. One of the younger, one of the, the, the younger son is restless, eager to take on his life, and so he asks his father to give him his inheritance early, that he might do with it as he wished. Now, let me just say, those who heard that story would have been shocked at the audacity of this boy. His request was basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I, I, I value your stuff more than I value you. But we ought to note here as well that both sons, therefore, would have received their inheritance. The scripture says, and he divided their wealth between them. That, by the way, probably meant that the older son actually got two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger son just one-third of his father's wealth. So the older son has not been left out by any means. It also means that the property had to be sold to convert this wealth into cash so he could spend it now think about this property in that day was to be handed down from generation to generation it was a family legacy built up over years and years this was like this man saying I don't want to be a part of this family I disown all of you and so this young man he, he, he's taken his father, he's wished he's dead, he wants no longer to be a part of the family, he's converting everything to cash. This man is a disgrace even before he spends a dime of the inheritance. People don't like him. He's awful. The, the younger son, as we know, takes off. The Bible says that he went off to a, a distant country he, he's, he's headed off. We can only imagine what he's doing, 
but he gets caught up, obviously, in a wild, self-destructive lifestyle so that before long, he loses all the money. And with that, his friends... And man, if it wasn't bad, it's sure bad now. This man is reduced to eating slop with swine in a pig pen. You talk about the lowest of low for a Jewish boy. Here he is with these unclean animals, eating with them. It can't get worse than that. This man is a disgrace. But it's finally in the pig pen. The Bible says, Jesus says that he comes to his senses. He wakes up. He gets it. My father treats the servants in his home better than this hell I am in. So he decides to return home. And then we see one of the most poignant, beautiful pictures as he comes back to his father's home just over the horizon. You can almost imagine it. The father is waiting and he sees his son. He sees the shadow of what he thinks it has to be his boy. And the father runs to him and welcomes him and puts a ring on him saying, you're back. He puts sandals on him and he not only restores him to his place in the household, but decides to hold a grand celebration. The party features a fattened calf that is slaughtered so that they might have a meal like none other. But when the party is at its height, you know, smiles could be seen, laughter could be heard, there's music in the air, there's dancing all around. The older brother comes in from working at the fields. Now, what do we know about this older brother? Well, we know he's a hard worker. He's coming in late, he's worked hard, he's paid the bills. He's put in his time. He's trying to make himself better. He's doing what the father would prefer. I suspect at this point he's a little tired after a hard day's work. He's, he's thinking, you know, I'll get something to eat, maybe sit on the couch, maybe take a nap, go to bed. He's dirty. But suddenly he hears the surprising sound of a party going on at his father's house. And he learns the reason. His brother has come home and his father is throwing him a celebration. Well, the older brother, <laughs> how do you think he responds? Well, he's not overjoyed. He's angry, bitter. He's not happy to see that his brother is home in fact, he's upset and indignant that this man has dared come home. In fact, his father comes out of the celebration and says, son, please, come on in. Your brother is home. Isn't this wonderful? But the brother resolutely stands there. No, I'm not going in. Look, he said, I, I've worked my fingers to the bone for you all these years for this farm You've, done, done, you've never done anything for me. I couldn't even have a dinner with a goat, it's never mind a fattened calf. But then this son of yours comes home, this fellow who wasted his inheritance on prostitutes, and you kill this fatted calf for him. No way, you bet, I'm not coming to this party. The father answers, 
My son, you are always with me. Everything I have belongs to you. But it's time for a celebration because this brother of yours was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. Now, I want you to notice this. Jesus doesn't finish the story. Jesus doesn't finish the story. The, the people listening had to finish the story. We have to finish the story. Let me ask you, did the older brother go in? Or did he go to bed? Did the older brother go to the party and celebrate? Or did he retire and sulk? What did he do? What would you do? You see, we know why Jesus did this, don't we? At the beginning of this chapter, Luke 15, we are told that tax collectors and sinners surrounded Jesus. And in verse 2, we learn that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were grumbling and muttering, and they were saying, this man eats with people like them. So you have this interesting group that must be in some way huddled together, sinners and Pharisees and tax collectors and teachers of the law, both listening to Jesus. And therefore, we have this question, what will the older brother do? And I want to ask religious people this question. Because I think the truth is many of us understand exactly how he felt. I kind of sympathize and even we might agree with his perspective. My goodness, look what he's done. Look how bad he's gone. Most of us here this morning are probably a whole lot more like the older brother who stayed at home than one of those who went far away. In fact, some in this room I know could identify with the lifestyle of the younger brother. Maybe you have done some things in your past and you, you recognize how far you went and, and how God has brought you back, and, and I'm grateful for that. But I suspect that many of us, well, we didn't grow up like that. We didn't get very far. We didn't go into a, a, an absolutely worldly lifestyle. Many of us did the right thing. Many of us in this room You've always been conscientious. You've always paid your bills. You've always paid your taxes. You respected your parents. You lived decent lives. You worked hard. You obey the law. And generally, you're just a moral person. And you try to do the right thing. Perhaps we even do a lot in the Father's fields. You know, maybe I serve on the elder board. I helped out at VBS. I'm a part of the worship team. I, I, I'm willing to go on a mission trip. I tithe. I do everything I'm supposed to do. And what I realize is it's really hard to come down on this older brother. He played by the rules. And maybe he's right. And so this morning I want to ask you, and I really need to ask me, how much of the older brother do I have in me? How much of the older brother do I have in me? 
because if you read this story and you read it carefully Jesus makes this clear there's something wrong in him isn't there now he looks like he's all right <laughs> he looks really good to me and yet Jesus makes it clear if he doesn't make a change he's not going to the party In this passage then, I think we really need to consider our own lives and view it from this perspective. And I want to suggest to you three things, and there are probably more, that I see that were wrong in the older brother, three things that kept him from joining the celebration. And let's use that as an examination of ourselves. One of the things that uh, jumps out to me when I read this passage, if you look carefully, you'd really get the sense that I think the older brother envies his younger brother. <laughs> he envies his younger brother. The older brother envies the sinner. Now, I think the most obvious clue is when we see how he envied the party itself. Dad, you killed the fattened calf for him when it should have been killed for me. He thought he deserved what the sinner was getting. But that isn't all the envy that we see here, and I think this comes to the surface. I noticed, and maybe if you read this story, you notice it too, I noticed that the only time that the prodigal, that we hear that the prodigal son, this younger son, spent time with prostitutes, is when? When we hear it from the lips of the older brother. Well, how did he know that? He was in the far country. How did he know? He didn't know. I think what happened was he'd come in from the field, he'd lay on the bed, and at night he'd imagine, I wonder what my brother is up to. And he thought about the escapades, the lifestyle, the fun, if you will, that his older brother or his younger brother was having. Here he is working day after day, working his fingers to the bone. He's doing everything right, but man, the younger brother, he's having the time of his life. We don't know, however, that it was true. It may have been true, but I suspect that deep inside, he wished he could have been doing that himself. Am I wrong? I want to illustrate what I'm trying to say here. I, I had a, a roommate back at Asbury. He, uh, the last two years I was at Asbury College. Asbury, as you know, is a Christian school, and as a result, a lot of students who are, who are more interested in ministry will often go there. But my roommate's name was John, and John was about four years older than I, so he had more experience. He was a rather short guy, but he was pretty well built, and uh, he had come to Christianity later in life just before actually he came to Asbury and as a result he had lived a rather promiscuous lifestyle I'll, I'll say that in fact every once in a while John would just begin to tell some of his stories before Christ before he met Jesus and the truth is John would begin to share about the things and the guys in the hall would get together and just listen to his stories tell us more give us details I mean, this guy had been around the block a few times. He would tell us about the drinking binges and, and the stuff he smoked. He had numerous encounters with women, and the stories he told were rather amazing, hard to believe about where and when. There were, there were women he didn't know their names. Now, for a choir boy like me, 
I mean, I didn't kiss a girl until I was a freshman uh, in, in college, it happened to be Mary, and I'll never forget that. Mary and I were on the steps of the library right there at Asbury, right in the middle of the campus, and finally that moment happens, and I kiss her. Now, it wasn't anything passionate. It wasn't anything long. In fact, I got so nervous that I got sick to my stomach, and I had to excuse myself. Uh, you know, we just exchanged saliva, and that was really hard for me at that point. Now, don't worry about it. I got better at it, okay? I really did. But we'd listen to John. We'd listen to John, and we'd act indignant, and we'd talk about, oh, we were thankful God saved us from all of that. But <laughs> if you really listened closely, you realized that really sounds like fun. Now, I believe that none of us in that room or in this room today, we, we wouldn't do that, and yet maybe we'd like to try it for a while. You know, folks, I think a lot of good people are like that. We do the right things, but deep inside, if we were honest, we'd like to do the bad things. Now, there are various reasons we don't do the bad things, the wrong things. Sometimes I think we, we don't do certain things is simply because we're afraid it's going to get us in trouble. We're afraid that there are consequences and we're smart enough to figure out where that leads, and that's all good. But I want you to know that doesn't mean that our desires inside have changed. You know, the truth is, when Jesus comes into our life, it doesn't suddenly mean our hearts have completely changed. When we press into Jesus, it takes time for us to discover that the reason he calls us to live holy and good lives is not because he's a mean God who doesn't want you to do the fun things. He's a good God who, who wants you to enjoy life to its fullest. But it takes us time to understand that. And sometimes we struggle with that. And sometimes because we are doing the right things, we can look down on those who who aren't and that principle was in this older brother you might look at him and what you see on the outside is a moral man but inside of him the reality is it's dark it's cold it's lifeless it's legalism He didn't do the bad things, but inside he wanted to. And so he envies this sinner. And, and Jesus shows how that heart attitude keeps you from celebrating grace. Because you never realize how much you need grace too. You think you deserve it. Whenever it comes about what you do instead of what God has done, you know you are missing the boat. But this man envied the sinner. The second thing I want to show you about the older brother that I think is true is he, he never really discovered the joy of being home. He was home. He took for granted the fact that daily he got to see his dad. Daily he was living with the father, and what a blessing that was. 
At home, he was rich. He had a name. He had wealth and prestige, something to live for. He had a reason to get up in the morning. And best of all, he had the privilege of working with his father, who was obviously generous and loving and compassionate and patient and wanted his children to do well. And yet, what do we see him do here? He asks his father, what have you ever given me? Did you notice the father is giving everything? What have you ever given me? He had been given it all, and he decides, not enough. I want more. Sometimes Christians, one of the saddest truths is we have been home for a long time. Perhaps we've been a Christian for years and years, and it's easy to forget what a blessing it is to be God's child. Sometimes we Christians act as above all people, we ought to be pitied. We go around with sour faces and dour spirits. We're at home, but we don't enjoy it. There ought to be joy in the house of the Lord. And so often we run around without smiles on our faces, bearing grudges against one another, not talking to each other over the smallest of things. No joy, only burdens. When it comes to the privilege of worship, well, we'll go to church if we have to, if we have to keep up appearances. If there's any other way we can get out of coming to church on Sunday, we'll find it, we'll take it. But the truth is, we are just like the Pharisees, always finding something to, to grumble about. And I've got to watch it there. You know, I, I hang around some pastors from time to time, and very often I'll get together with a group of pastors, and they talk about how hard ministry is, how difficult it is, and how the church is negative about them in this way or that. One of the things I want you to hear clearly for my sake is I love being your pastor. I love this community. I appreciate what, what I have here, and I've got a lot to learn and a lot more to do. But I thank God for the privilege of, of being a minister called by God for, for reasons I don't always understand. But I sometimes think we can forget why we're here. I've been forgiven. Jesus Christ died. He rose again. He's promised to come back again. He's promised me a place in heaven. It's easy to get so wrapped up and personality issues or I didn't like this or I don't like that music Lord forgive us forgive your church for being at home but not enjoying it not appreciating it when we are surrounded by blessings but we don't see those blessings we don't acknowledge those blessings let me tell you we're just as poor as those who haven't been blessed at all may God open our eyes today the younger son knew what it was like to be at home he woke up he got it yeah he had wasted his life away but for those of us who are at home we give ourselves to working without joy to religion without a relationship with Jesus going after every material thing not realizing that the reason God has blessed me is because he wants to bless others we're wasting our lives away too how much of the older brother? 
is in me. Maybe we've been a Christian for a long time. We've been home. But do you see how blessed you are to be called the father's son? The father's boy? His daughter? That brings me to my last point. There's one more thing that kind of gets to me about this older brother. It's probably the hardest point of all. In all those years he had been with a father, <laughs> he still didn't know him. He, 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 he didn't react like the father. He didn't look like the father. He didn't act like dad. For years, this son had seen the father in action. He saw his father in his giving. He saw his father be gentle, his love, his kindness, his character. Yet he still didn't understand his father. He didn't know his dad. You see that, of course, when you see this conversation. The older brother could not understand why the father still loved his son or why he would celebrate his return. Did you notice he called the boy your son? <laughs> your son. While the father tries to remind him, he's your brother. The older son couldn't acknowledge he even had a brother because he didn't have the father's heart. So who is really the prodigal in this parable? It's not the one with the shady past. It's the one who stayed outside. It's the one who, who's not going to the party. The one who can't bring himself to forgive. The dead one, the lost one, is the one who isn't going to the celebration. And so we have to ask ourselves, is there anyone here today, maybe you've been home for quite some time, but spiritually speaking, you're dead inside. You're cold, you're lifeless, you don't know the Father. You still don't have his heart. And you're in danger of missing the party. God wants to do something in us. Religious people, did you notice that there are three sons in this parable? You say, what? Did you catch that? Three sons. There's the younger son who runs away and returns. There's the older brother, of course, who is filled with bitterness and resentment. But there's a third son here, the son of God who tells the story. And he left his father's house to come to die for our sins. You see, one of the things we learn about Jesus, our older brother, is what should the older brother have done? He should have gone out and found the younger brother. He should have done exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. He came to this earth. He left the throne of heaven to find you and me. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. You see the Gospels right there. It's also in the fact, I think, as I look at this story, you'll notice there is no party for you or for me unless the Son of God is killed on the cross and he pays the debt. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus, we know, had his Father's heart 
Jesus came and sacrificed himself and we look at this party and we see the fattened calf <laughs> who was slaughtered so the party can begin. Jesus Christ came to die so that the party can begin. And one day we're going to celebrate as a family at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. But make sure the gospel has changed you. How easy it is to be at home and still not know the Father. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word and for its truth. Lord, maybe there is a prodigal son here, a younger brother who has gone to a far country and they've come this morning and they, they have encountered you and they want to come home. You've allowed them to come to their senses and they want to invite you into their life and receive the forgiveness and freedom that comes when you, when, when, when you welcome us. Lord, I pray for anyone in this place who needs to make that commitment of faith to you. But Lord, I pray for the rest of us. I'm sure the majority. Perhaps we've been in home for a long time. But Lord, are we going to the party? Are we celebrating your life, your love? Have we been changed into the likeness of your son? Do we have the Father's heart? Are we more compassionate? Are we more giving? Are we more kind? Do we celebrate, Lord, when you work in someone's life? Are you using us to bring them to yourself? Holy Spirit, if there's any older brother in me, change him. We all want to go to the party. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.